Let's stand so we know where we're at this morning. Let us stand and and read God's word. And I would tell you, buckle up your seatbelts because it's going to be a rough ride. And I ask your blessing and your prayers as I I preach this. But Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Oh Lord, I pray that these words would resonate in our heart. That we would understand the implications of what you have just shared in these three verses. Lord, you've challenged my heart this week. You have brought grief into my heart as I think through those who are on the road that leads to destruction. You've reminded me of the grace that comes, that you have shown me that I, a sinner, might find the narrow gate and the narrow way that leads to life. Lord, I pray that you would allow me now to take what you've taught me and and share it with these wonderful people whom I love. And that I would do so, Lord, with the authority that you've given your word. And that I'd do it with clarity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As you can see on the screen, I've taken my sermon title from two very famous secular rock songs from about 30 years ago. And the reason why I've done it is not to be cute, but to address that there is some real truth that comes from those two words, stairway to heaven and highway to hell. While we may not agree fully with the the lives of those who have sung it, what they articulate in those truths are true realizations of what the unbeliever is thinking with regards to the afterlife and regards to what is going to transpire when we take our last breath. You see, inherent within the human existence is an understanding and a profound realization that there is something that comes after this life. As Christians, we're not the only ones. In fact, Robert Plant, who wrote the song Stairway to Heaven, said this, yes, there are two paths that you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And he says, all of this makes me wonder. Jesus, in the end of his Sermon on the Mount, wants to take away all wonder, all question, all, uh, um, if you will, fogginess in one's mind as to what is going on in the afterlife. Now, we know that all major religions believe in some level of the afterlife. In the Far East, in Buddhism and and, uh, Hindu uh, cultures, reincarnation, while it's defined differently within those two religions, reincarnation is the name of the game, an endless cycle of existences. And your next uh, reincarnation, your next cycle of life will be dependent on what your previous cycle of life was. And so the Far East religions believe in it. As we move to the Middle Eastern religions, we recognize that while they are incredibly different, Judaism and Islam both believe that there is a place called paradise, the abode of God, and there is a place called hell. And that through that, uh, while they may get to those places in different ways, 
they recognize by both of those major religions that there is an afterlife. And there are places where those who do well will go and those who don't do so well will go. But for Christians, especially conservative Christianity, of which Village Bible Church finds themselves, we hold to not only an afterlife, but to a conscious and active afterlife. In some ways, we will begin to live life in greater and more ways than we're living it right now in the days to come. Now, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there are two paths, as Robert Plant said, that you can go by. One path will lead us to God, full of bliss and total peace and joy, a place called heaven, a place where Jesus said in John 14 that he was going to prepare a place for his followers. But Jesus also makes it clear, and the Bible is clear on this as well, that there is another place. It's a place called hell. It's a place that is apart from God, that is in, a person who is, resides there is in total agony and pain and sorrow. And Jesus says that this will not be for a short season, but it will be for all of eternity. And the question that is before us today is what destiny do you find yourself traveling towards? Do you find yourself traveling, if you will, that stairway that leads to heaven? Or do you find yourself running down the highway that leads to hell? Now, in, able, in, in order to understand this, Jesus' words have to bear um, uh, direction in our lives. And I want you to notice the first of, of my points this morning. There are four, and we'll move through the first two relatively slowly, and then we'll speed up the pace so I can get you out by 3.30. The first one is the pathway that leads to destruction. Let's look at verse 13 again, and, and, and I'll deal with verse 12, so don't worry about that. We'll deal with verse 12 in a little bit. But verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Now, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to understand that in our world today, Jesus has been redefined. Jesus has been redefined as this only loving and only nice word saying teacher who says, if we can all just get along, then everything will be fine. And, and what people do is they take and extrapolate only the, the nice sayings of Jesus and they forget in liberal Christianity and in, in the agnostic and atheistic world, that Jesus isn't just some pleasant teacher, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he speaks like that. And they forget. Notice what Jesus says. In the same sermon that Jesus talks about the wonderful Beatitudes and how good it is for us to treat others as we're supposed to in the golden rule, a verse before it, Jesus says, I want to make this abundantly clear. There are two roads one that leads to me in glory and one that leads to uh, the devil and hell that is destruction. And he's articulating that. And many people will say, well, God wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Well, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that there is a place called hell. He speaks about it more than he does heaven in the scriptures. And he says that if you're not careful and if you do not find the way of Jesus, you will spend eternity there. Now notice what he says about this place or this path that leads to destruction. Notice right away he says that it's entered by many. It's entered by many. Notice, for the gate uh, is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. 
Now, if that doesn't grieve your heart this morning, then something's wrong. Because what Jesus is articulating is that there are people today who are living their life, there are people in our world today who are breathing some of their last breath in total agony and in total pain, and the only thing that they are looking forward to is the reprieve from that pain and that agony. That sorrow and that difficulty of living the last days in this life. And because they're apart from God, those people who are dying in agony at this very moment will close their eyes and their hearts will stop beating and their brains will stop functioning and they will go from a place of, of what is temporal agony to eternal, insurmountable agony. And Jesus says that there are many like that. Now, a part of that many, it doesn't take a Greek scholar to understand that that word many is a lot. And that the people that are heading there are not one at a time, but in large quantities. That means people of all backgrounds, of all faiths, of of all places are heading to hell. Do you realize that you have family and friends and co-workers and loved ones. Some of you have children. Some of you have spouses that find themselves on this highway to hell. Might I say this morning, there are some of you in this place that are on that road today. I want you to notice something about this word, many. While the word speaks of large quantities, I want you to also understand that when Jesus says many, notice the broad way is filled with many, but the narrow way that leads to life with God is for the few. And what Jesus is is saying, and we have to take him by his word, is that based on this verse, it sure seems that the, the realm of hell will be more populated than the realm of God in glory. And this is a problem. And this should grieve our hearts because we do have family, we do have friends. There are people who are on this road, and the Scripture says they've entered into it. Now I want you to know right away that very quickly we will look and say this is a tragedy, and it is. It's a travesty of epic proportion, and yet here's the thing. Right away we say, well, that just doesn't seem like a very nice God. How could a loving and kind God allow the many to, to embrace this kind of life and, and head to hell? Why, why doesn't God do something? Well, God did. He declared himself and, and that. And I want you to notice something. In that word, enter, as you look at it in the original Greek language, it speaks of a responsible decision of the one who is on that path. And what that means is, is please don't think that people are lost and they don't know they're on the wrong path. The Bible makes it clear that each and every person who is in sin has chosen that path because Paul says in Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so what started? God reveals himself as creator, as loving God, and sinful humanity says, thanks but no thanks God, I'll do it my own way. 
Instead of pursuing you, God, I'm going to pursue self. Instead of uh, following and submitting myself to the lordship of Christ, I'm going to submit myself to my lifestyles and my desires. And so we need to understand the many that are on this road have made a conscious decision to be on this road. They've entered into it, as the text says. Now, I want you to notice another thing. Notice that this way, this broad way that leads to destruction, is effortless in nature. It's effortless in nature. Notice when Jesus speaks of the narrow way. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For, uh, he says in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And so there's this contrast. Notice one is hard and the other one is easy. And so when Jesus talks about the wide gate, he says this wide gate's not going to cost you. This wide gate allows you to bring all of your desires, all of your pursuits, all of your wants, all of the things that go with living life on this earth. You can have all of it. You don't have to bow the knee to nobody. You're king. You're the one in charge. Do whatever you want. And don't submit yourself to anybody, including that of, of God. You see, the broad way is an easy way. It requires nothing. There are no restrictions. In the song Highway to Hell, ACDC puts it this way. It's living easy. It's loving free. It's the season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, just leave me be. I'm taking everything in stride. Because I don't need a reason. I don't need a rhyme. Ain't nothing that I'd rather do. I'm going down. It's party time. My friends are going to be there too because I'm on the highway to hell. He goes on in the second verse to say, there's no stoplights. There's no speed limits. There's nothing that's going to slow me down because I'm on the highway to hell. That's truth. He's preaching the road that leads to destruction, and he has done so quite aptly. But notice the text goes on and it says, okay, there are these many, and the road is easy. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to change who they are. Just be who you are. Leave me alone. I'm fine. And notice the text says that those who enter it are many. That term enter it is found in the present tense, which paints the picture. Listen, of an endless line of men and women who are plodding along the journey to destruction. Jesus is setting the alarm for his listener. And he's saying, listen up. For many of you, you find yourself living this life and not wanting to follow the ways that I've commanded. And you don't want to find life in me. You don't want to seek first me and my kingdom. You want to worry about self. You want to worry about your own desires. And Jesus says you are on a road that leads to destruction. Now, why wouldn't anybody stop doing that then? You would think just by the very mention of that, hey, bridge out, stop going in that direction, that people would stop right in their tracks. But notice the next thing that we see, it's entered by many, it's effortless in nature, and notice it is filled with all kinds of evil. It's filled with all kinds of evil. Why in the world do do sinners find themselves continuing down this road? Because the broad way is easy, it's attractive, it's inclusive, it's indulgent, it's permissive, and it's self-oriented in every way because it is the way of the world. No rules, no restrictions, no requirements. It is so tolerant 
that one can even say that they profess Jesus or at least are a little bit religious and you will still be accepted by this group. The only thing that changes is when you say, but Jesus says you and I can no longer live this way. Then it's no longer tolerated. Truth is moderated and sin is tolerated and humility is ignored. And God's word is viewed as a wonderful book, but it's not studied as the standard. It's not admired or followed as the book that God gives so that people may have life. And so this way down to hell is an easy way of floating downstream. As as Paul says, in the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is what the writer of Proverbs said when it says, there is a path that seems right to man, but in the end leads to destruction. So, So right away we ask the question, well, why do believers not see this pathway to destruction? What keeps them from seeing it? The answer is, they're enjoying the ride. The ride is fun. Well, what makes it so fun? Turn in your Bibles for a moment. Go to the, uh, to the right in your Bibles, to the book of Romans. If you have a pew Bible, page 939 is where you'll find our passage. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts and Romans to your right if you're in Matthew. And Paul, in his magnum opus of the book of Romans, articulates why in the world... Do sinners act the way that they do? Why did we act that way before we were were embraced by the grace of God? Now notice, the reason why is because man has made a decision. All of sinful humanity has made a decision. We will live life without God and pursue our own ways. Well, then what do we fill our life with? If it's not with the good things of God and the submission to God and his word, notice verse 24 says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So once again, remember that it is sinful humanity that has chosen, they saw the way to life everlasting. And they said, and we did as well, because Paul says we were like them at one time, disobedient. We saw what God had to offer, and we said, thanks but no thanks, we're going to go our own way. And instead of serving the creator God who is forever blessed, we now serve ourselves who are created beings. We serve one another, and we serve the appetites and passions of the flesh. And notice what happens. When you exchange God for a life that's dedicated to yourself, God says what's going to happen. Well, it begins with immorality. Women exchange natural relations uh, with men for women. Men likewise do that. They they exchange natural relations with women and are consumed with passion for one another. They commit shameless acts. Now notice, because they did not see fit in verse 28 to acknowledge God. God, we don't need you. We're going to do it our own way. God gave them up to a debased mind. What he did was he gave them the roadway to go the direction they wanted to go. And notice what he says. They were filled with all manner, verse 29, of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, boastful, and I did it again, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's decree 
that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. So here's what God says. The reason why these people are having such a good time, fully knowing that destruction is coming their way, is because they busy themselves with a lifestyle filled with just feasting on the good things of the flesh. And you say, well, why would you do that? At some point you would think, okay, enough is enough. They, they would stop doing that. I want to remind you of some history. In the tragedy of the Titanic, historians tell us that many of the reasons why people did not get into lifeboats was they had a flawed understanding that, that took or trumped all human reasoning and thinking. And here was the flawed thought. The Titanic will never sink, right? It'll never sink. It's a boat that not even God himself can sink. And that had gotten around over and over again. They talked about this this amazing accomplishment of human ingenuity and work that they had built this boat that was unable to be sunk in any way, shape, or form. So when they hit the iceberg, you would think that the light would have dawned on them, hey, time to get in the lifeboats. No, their thinking had now moved them to an action. Now listen, that most eyewitness accounts of the people that were in the lifeboat said that the party continued on. As even the boat began to rise up into the air, and many have seen the movie and and have seen some of those pictures, as it went up into the air, people still assumed that they were okay. And one of the books that was written to depict the whole thing was the band played on. And so here's what we're getting painted as a picture by Jesus is they're heading down this road and they have a flawed understanding that this way is the way to real happiness. This way is the way to fulfill your life and your dreams. And all the while there are all these signs that are showing that you shouldn't do this but they're too busy dancing, they're too busy eating, they're too busy enjoying the good life that they find themselves all the while running through warning sign after warning sign that destruction is on top of them. Now right away, you sit there, and and I know what some of you are thinking is, how foolish. I mean, how stupid can people be? How can they miss it? But I want to remind you of something. That this broad way that leads to destruction is filled with things that are enticing to Christians and and non-Christians alike. They are enticing to Christians and non-Christians alike. See, right before you start saying how pathetic, don't you see that your way is foolish and, and futile? What's your problem? Where's your brain, people? You're going down a road. I mean, don't you, don't you get it? Let me remind you that if you want to admit it or not, let me re-say this. Whether you want to admit it or not, I'll do it for us. That as one who teaches God's word on a weekly basis, who's been a follower of Jesus Christ for a long time, the way that leads to destruction, I am saddened to say, is incredibly enticing to me. That I have to be honest with you, there are times in my life when I'm walking the the grace-filled life and I look at friends, and I look at family, and I look at, at co-workers, and I see them. 
and they're living with reckless abandonment and they're enjoying the fr- frivolity of their ways, the carousing of their ways. And I look and, and, and I don't sit there and say, man, how stupid, how, how arrogant, how wrong are they? I sit there and say, well, what can I do to be a part of it? Because it sure looks like fun. And there are times that I look at the Christian life and I say, man, I'm not having that kind of fun. I'm not enjoying myself. Man, there's no cares. There's no concerns. There, I mean, you just do what you want. How great is that? What a wonderful life if you look at it from a temporal standpoint. It is all fun. Now, some of you will right away say, man, I am really disappointed in my pastor. Man, buddy, sit down and stop talking until you got this thing figured out. Well, let me tell you something. My view on the ways of this world seem to be more biblically based than what your view is. Because the Bible seems to say over and over again, hey, Christian, be careful because that way is enticing. In one of Paul's letters to his young disciple Timothy, he speaks of a man named Demas. And Demas is a man who had done fruitful ministry and work with the gospel of Jesus Christ as a man who stood by Paul. Paul states this phrase about Demas, and it's true for many of us in this place. Demas has left me because he loves the present world. But wait a minute. Why would Demas leave the present? Why would Demas leave Christ? Because the present world for the human being looks glorious. And so Demas started looking around saying, what's this business of getting in prison? What's this business of of always being under attack and and always having to watch ourselves? Man, why can't I just go hang out with my friends? Why can't I just go hang out and live life like everybody else does? Pay homage to Caesar, tell him he's God, and let's just enjoy life and and the pleasures of life. Why would Timothy be told that? Because Paul says, Timothy, be careful that you don't start loving this present world. How about in the book of 1 John? Written to believers in 1 John chapter 2. I'll I'll read that for us. Just write that passage down. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If we don't have this issue or concern about loving the world, then why does John say, do not love the world or the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For uh, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. If that wasn't the case, if there wasn't a care or concern that people might be enticed to go to these things, then John would have never had to write about it. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you this stuff because you don't have these issues and struggles. Well, of course they did. They were concerned. Think of all the prohibitions of fleeing sexual immorality and fleeing all kinds of sin. Why would he have to tell us that if we didn't have a problem with it? And so I'm here to tell you, before you look down your noses at people and say how pathetic, how dumb, how stupid the sinner is, remember that there's a part of us that still is waging war with the new man, a new woman, that yearns for that kind of lifestyle, that yearns for that kind of ability to do whatever you want, whatever feels right, with no caution or concern of what will come. Now here's the problem. While it is an, it's entered by many and it's effortless in nature and it's filled with all kinds of evil and is even enticing to Christians and non-Christians alike, Jesus makes it abundantly clear this way without mincing any words ends in doom. It ends in doom. Notice the text says it leads to destruction. The word leads there is, is a Greek word, apago, um, and, it, and it's used in secular writings in the first century 
to describe prisoners being taken under armed guard to prison to their execution. And so here's the thing. Apago is found in the present tense, which indicates that this leading of people is continuously happening in one direction. In essence, the devil is leading the people on this broad way to destruction. Now, what does that mean to destruction? Where are they going? What Jesus articulates when he uses the word destruction is a word that speaks of the utter ruin or complete loss which is epitomized by eternal punishment. It could be used doom, destruction, total despair. It's not of annihilation. You know, some people say, well, I just have to endure it for a nanosecond and then it's all done. That's not what it means. But it is a ruin that uh, makes something no longer usable for its intended purposes. Jesus is helping us understand what hell is. What hell is, is a constant reminder of what you could have been and what you will never be. Hell is a reminder of your potential in relationship with God and that you will never live up to that potential at all. You will spend eternity yearning for something you will never have. It is a reminder that while you were made for relationship with God and that your whole existence is based on and needs that relationship with God, you will never have it because the presence of God will be taken away from you. This is the epitome of what hell is all about. Now, uh, our friends and our family say, well, I don't like that kind of Jesus. And my Jesus doesn't talk about hell. Baloney, he doesn't. He's spoken about hell three times in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.22, Matthew 5.27, and Matthew 5.30. And this place that Jesus talks about in other parts of the scripture is a place called Gehana. It is the place where it is told where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth where a worm will not die, and it's a place of utter despair. It it literally was illustrated that it was a place outside of the city of Jerusalem where they would burn their garbage and their feces and, and corpses. It was a place that absolutely reeked. It was the garbage dump that was perpetually on fire. The fires of Gehenna never stopped burning. And Jesus says that is where the sinners are heading unless they turn and repent and follow me. Now listen, while we think of others who may be on this road, as your pastor and one who loves you, there are some in this place who are walking that road right now. And you have deceived yourself into thinking, well, I go to church enough, or I've done enough nice things, or maybe I've professed some things, uh, and I've prayed some prayers. Let me tell you something. It is about our obedience, and the question is, are you obeying self on the highway to hell, or are you obeying God through the through the gate that gives life. So notice, Jesus has just, he's just hammered us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Notice in our text, he shows the passage that leads to deliverance. After receiving a, a sobering view of what awaits those on the broad road that leads to destruction, Jesus gives good news. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us as sinners, all like sheep, we've gone astray, each to our own way. Amen? We've all gone that way. Okay? And here's the gospel. God in his sovereign goodness, in his sovereign love and mercy, said, I'm not going to leave all of them on the road to destruction. And so I am going to, out of my grace and mercy, call upon those and and bring those back to ourselves. I'm going to open their eyes to see that their way leads to destruction. And I'm going to do so through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That those who respond by faith and repentance will then turn from their ways of evil and wickedness and their way to destruction. 
and they will find a way to life. Now, how do you get that? It's through Jesus Christ. He came to be the bread of life. Jesus Christ came to be the light of the world. He became also to be the way, the truth, and the life. He called himself the door or the gate. And Jesus here in our text tells people to stop running down the road that leads to destruction. And he calls them to repent. There's another way. Stop going the way that is for many and turn. He's offering the exit ramp from the highway to hell. Now, why don't most take it? Notice what the scripture says. It says the reason why many are on the road that leads to destruction is because it's fun, because the crowd's there, because that's the party area. But notice another reason why people don't find the gate that leads to deliverance is because it's diminutive in contrast or comparison. So notice, one gate and one way is wide and the way is easy. Now Jesus says, hey, the way to life is narrow and it's hard. Well, the broad way is wide and full of traffic while the crowds are there and it's a well-worn pathway. The gate in comparison to Jesus is small. It's narrow. That word narrow has become a curse word in our society. And we say, well, we don't like narrow people. Well, the narrowest of all people was Jesus. That Greek word, or that word uh, narrow in the Greek is the word stenazo. It means a very small and constricting walkway. It means one to get through this walkway has to cause himself to strain to get through it. It speaks of something that you have to press into, something that's going to squash you, something that's going to bring great difficulty to you. It hems you in, it constrains you. It doesn't allow for a crowd of people, but it is so small and so narrow that it means a person must go one person at a time. You see, the narrow gate doesn't allow for you and I to have shirt tail faiths. You can't be hooked to your, to your mom or your dad. You can't be hooked to your spouse. You can't be hooked to your pastor or your church and get through the narrow gate. We all go through it one at a time. And what it, what it will demand, listen, it will demand our total allegiance. This gate's narrowness forces us to deal with some things that we have to deal with to go through it. Now, the best way to illustrate this and I hope this is helpful, is I want, you, I want to transport us to O'Hare Airport for a moment. And we're in the concourse where thousands of people, wide hallways, if you will, of people filled, coming and going, okay? With no thought, nobody's really talking to one another. They're busy doing their own thing. And amidst those thousands of people that are on the concourse, there's a recognition that at some point you have a decision to make. If I want to get on a plane and fly somewhere else, I can no longer stay on the concourse where the thousands of people are, but I as an individual have to line up and walk through what I want to call the security checkpoints. And to do that, it's going to demand some things. You see, we just can't walk on a plane. We just can't say, well, I'm ready to go. I've got my bags packed and I'm ready to go to my destination. What Jesus is saying is, is just as in the airport, when you find yourself in the concourse, at some point you've got to go through the security checkpoint, and the security checkpoint is Jesus. And what that means is, is that you're going to go through, and, and if you've gone to the airport and gotten on a plane, you know that the TSA agents aren't just going to let you saunter through that security checkpoint, are they? They're going to say, take off your shoes. Get rid of the belts. Is there anything in your pockets? 
hey, you can't take your suitcase through there. Put it on the, on the uh, um, conveyor belt. It's got to be searched as well. And what Jesus is saying is, is when we enter the narrow gate, there's things that are going to come off of our lives. There are things that are going to come off of our habits. There are things that are not going to make it through Jesus' x-ray machine of justification. And what that means is, is Jesus is going to say, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to rid yourself of some things. And if you've ever been a part of a, a... that TSA thing, have you ever seen someone who doesn't want to give up that one thing? They'll cry and they'll moan and they'll say, you know what, if I can't get rid, if I have to get rid of that, I'm not getting on the plane. One of my flights to San Diego a couple of years ago or a year ago was that way. A person said, no, I'm not getting rid of that. Well, you're going to not get on the plane. Well, then if that means I can't get on the plane, then I won't. The reason why unbelievers see the narrow gate of Jesus is that they look and they say, it will cost me too much, and I'm unwilling to give up that which is important to me if it means I have to give it up to follow Jesus. And some of us right now are thinking, well, we're at church and we're doing fine. You're walking the concourse. But at some point, you got to go through the door, and Jesus is going to say one at a time. I, I, this last time we went to San Antonio, uh, Luke went with me, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't want Luke to get away from me. I didn't want him to go by himself. And so I, I had him, I kind of pushed him through, and we kind of went through the security thing together. And the guy stopped me and says, hey, not two at a time, one at a time. I don't care how cute he is. And what we need to recognize is, is we just can't walk through this thing, but we've got to go through it a person at a time. And they're going to examine us. And they're going to say, these are the things that can go, and these are the things that can't. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, you can't come to me and think you're going to hold on to stuff. And the things that I say can't get on that plane, if you will, they got to go. you got to let them go. You can't have both. And here's the thing. When a person, and this is the grace of all, you say, well, why would anybody do that? Because the grace of God that appeared to man in the personal work of Jesus says, when you give up those things, you'll find joy and contentment, the Scripture says. When you give up as lovely as those things are in your human mind, when you give those things up and you agree with Jesus that, yes, Jesus, I can't have you and have these things, then Jesus says that's where you'll find the life. But but I want you to hear this. It's so very clear. See, so many people say, and I think they do it with good hearts, Oh, just come to Jesus. Don't worry about who you are. Don't worry about, nothing has to change. Just, just believe in Jesus. Just follow Jesus and, and, and everything's fine and, and, and it's all good. That's the good news is it's easy. It's not easy. It's difficult. Well, you don't really have to change. Yes, you do. Jesus ain't changing. So the only one who's going to change is you. And so what we have to recognize is the gospel changes everything. And we have to be in agreement with that. And if we're not in agreement with that, the Bible says then get back on that road that leads to destruction because you're not going through here. So we have to be willing to give those things up. We have to realize that we have to throw off everything that doesn't meet Jesus' approval. That's the only way we'll get through that path. Now, I want you to understand something. That narrow gate is not just narrow for a short time. Some of you will say, well, I'm willing to go through the TSA process because it's only a short thing so I can get to Disney World, right? It's just a minor inconvenience. If I can just get through the minor inconvenience, then it's Disney World for me and my family. The Bible says that the narrow gate leads to what? The narrow way. 
Does that make sense? It doesn't get any easier. It isn't like we go through this narrow gate and we kind of, kind of work into it and then, whoo, get out the lazy boy. Man, look at the acreage I've got now. No, the Bible says the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. And it's hard. What well, it makes it hard? Isn't being saved glorious? Yes, it is. But here's the hard thing. We are saved. Our position has changed. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the same flesh that was on the highway to hell is still with us as we walk through that difficult path. And so what Jesus does is he's ridding in that whole process all the garbage that we've brought to that. But that hurts. But Jesus, you're, you're, you're pointing, you're pushing me in. It's, it's, you're hemming me in. You're constraining me. I don't like that. And Jesus says, this is what it means to be Christ-like. This is what it means to live a life like I did. And so some of you are struggling right now. You're like, why am I battling with this sin? Why am I dealing with it? Because your body still says you're on the highway to hell and your heart has been changed and Jesus says now you are being delivered and each and every day we're being delivered more and more. And that's why Paul said in his text, I just want to go home. I'm tired of this. So let me go. But notice it's tough, but there's a reason why it's tough because it directs us to a life with God. The word there, life, in our text, in verse 14, that leads to life, is an important word. It's a word that gives us reason to endure. The word life, zoe, in the Greek, it speaks of an absolute fullness of life. Jesus said this when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is what he meant when he said, I've come to give you life, that you may have it in abundance. Jesus says that the abundant life is the constrained life. That doesn't make any sense. Well, no, it doesn't make any sense to human being Tim, but it makes total sense to creator God. And so when I constrain myself for the sake of holiness, God says, in it you will find life. That's why we look and we see in Hollywood, those who have reckless abandonment pursuing the things of this world are absolutely, positively unhappy. Because they haven't found the life in Christ. And here's the thing, this life is in the here and now and it's for the life to come where we will be forever free from sin, sickness, sorrow, suffering, and death once and for all. Amen? So then that brings us to my third and fourth point, and they're short. It brings us to a predicament. And the predicament is, is there's two roads. And the predicament is you can't be on both. And some of you think you can be on both roads. On Sunday, you're on this tight road, and amen, Tim, and this is good, and, and I'm doing that. And then you're like, hey, guys, hey, over here, I, I'm back. Don't worry about me. I just took a little respite, a little rest stop. I'm back. I'm on the highway. Let's go do our things. Let's go enjoy our stuff. Maybe you're doing it by yourself where you're saying, hey, yeah, it's a hard road, but it sure is nice and easy way I can do whatever my body says is good for me to do. And so it demands a decision. Will you, like a sheep, go astray, each of us, to our own way? Or will you go the way of Christ, no matter the cost? You know the Bible, this is the crux of the great theme of Scripture. That God has placed life before us, and we have pursued death, and God in his faithfulness continues to call us back to himself. Write these passages down. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This day, God said, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, and I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Deuteronomy 30, 19. 
How about Joshua 24, 15? Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't go down the road that leads to hell and still follow Jesus. So the apostles over and over again said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Let me stop and ask this question. What road are you on this morning? Not where do you go to church or what you've said. What road are you on? Are you on the easy road or are you on the hard road? Have you entered in the gate that is Jesus? Have you made a decision at some point in your life that you would follow Jesus and not yourself? If you haven't, the question is, will you? Will you embrace Jesus? Will you bow the knee to Jesus and know that what you are asking for is the hard way of living, not the easy one? But in the end, it leads to life in this life and in the life to come. Have you bowed the knee? You say, well, what does that involve? What does that mean? Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. You're not sure what that looks like? And I would beg you to stay after this service. Find myself, find someone who will share with you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place without redirecting the road that you're on so that you can find Jesus and live and walk with him for the rest of your life. Now, what about verse 12? What in the world do we do with verse 12? The golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do, do also uh, do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Well, Tim, what in the world are we going to do with this? Here it is. Jesus, before this incredibly difficult passage, gives us a principle that determines our demeanor. What do I mean by that? Do unto others what you would want done unto yourself. And so Jesus says that the way of living life as a Christian is to put yourself in other people's shoes. And then he gives an example of people who are on their way to destruction. And Jesus says, what would they want of you? What would you want if you were in that situation? And this is what I think we would want if we knew we were on the way to destruction and we were too blind to see our way out of it, we would do three things. Number one, doing unto others what we would want done on the road to destruction means we would pray for the Spirit's leading in the unbelievers. Your friends and your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, your classmates that are on the road to hell, if they knew right, they would be pleading with you right now, tell me about Jesus. They would be telling me, pray for me. Pray that my eyes would be open. Because here's the thing. We didn't come to this on our own. If you think that something dawned on in your life, that you just put together enough of the the pieces, that you're like, all right, I'm on the wrong road. I've got to get on the right road, so I'll follow Jesus. I want you to understand something. You were blind, dead, and held captive by the evil one. It was by God's sovereign goodness that he saved you. He pulled you out of that sin. He gave you eyes. He gave you a new heart. And he said, now you can worship me. And so we need to pray for that, for God to do that, because that's the only way blind, dead people will be freed 
to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to be praying. We need to be on our knees praying for unbelievers, praying for them by name. And we need to be praying for an open door that we can point them to. Notice, point them to that open door. So when God gives opportunities, we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who haven't heard it. That we articulate to them clearly that the way to eternal life is Christ. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. Let me show you in my actions. Let me show you in my attitudes. Let me show you in my affections. And let me show you, unbeliever, in my aspirations that Jesus is all that he says he is. That all of my life is pointing people to Jesus. And when they ask, you present them with the cost. Don't tell people that the gospel is easy. Stop doing that. The gospel is very hard. It will cost us all that we have. But in it, we will gain all that we've never had that are in the treasures and riches of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So tell them that. But they won't believe. Leave that to God. He's the one who can change lives. I know people in this place who were living lives of their own. And the Spirit of God moved in their lives and the gospel was proclaimed to them. And we said, this is not an easy way, it's a hard way. And they said, I don't know any other way but to follow Jesus. At one point in Jesus' ministry, after telling people they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood after he had fed the 5,000 The crowd left. It wasn't easy anymore. And Jesus turned to the 12, not the 20,000, but the 12. And he says, how about you? And Peter says for the disciples, this is hard teaching. Who can understand it? But where will we go? You have the words of life. So what Jesus is saying is you better buckle your seatbelt. The life of the Christian is hard. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1930s and 40s said this. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the gospel. And we need to recognize that. We need to proclaim that. And we need to tell people that when they accept Jesus, they don't just accept him in his resurrection, but in his suffering on the cross. And that's where Jesus says we take up our cross and we follow him. Hard words, not fun words, but words, Jesus says, that bring life. I pray that they've brought you life this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, I pray that my words have rung true. Lord, if I'm wrong in any way, I pray that you would would bring clarity Lord, I pray that we would search out the scriptures and that we would recognize what your word says and not just assume that the preacher has said it, therefore it's true. So Lord, I pray that we would wrestle with these things, that we would, we would work through these things. Lord, I pray that we would stop in our day today that's filled with joy and, and contentment and peace and we would recognize that there are many, many on the road that are leading to destruction and few on the road that leads to life. Lord, you've enabled us a treasure in jars made of clay to declare the goodness of what you've done in pulling people from that highway so that they might enter the narrow gate that is Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for opening our eyes through the Spirit and through the miracle of regeneration that we might see you and we might glory in you the only way and truth in life that we have. Thank you for making us your child. For the ones, Lord, who have never done that, Lord, seize them right where they're at right now have them seek you 
while you can still be found, before it's too late. Now, Lord, we pray for your blessing on our time as we leave, as we fellowship, as we speak about such things with those around us. Give us the empowerment by your spirit to proclaim these truths to a lost world that needs to hear. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.